0: Thank you for joining us today for TEDCO Talks, a new series featuring thought leaders in economic development from across the state of Maryland. Join TEDCO CEO, Troy LaMail Stovall, in thought-provoking conversations with regional leaders about the future of Maryland's innovation ecosystem. In this episode, Troy is joined by Don Fry, President and CEO of the Greater Baltimore Committee. Listen now to learn more about Don and the role he plays in supporting Maryland and DC's entrepreneurial community.
1: Greetings, everybody. Once again, this is welcome to another edition of TEDCo Talks. My name is Troy Lamel Stovall. I am the CEO and Executive Director for TEDCo. And today I couldn't be uh, more excited to, to have this conversation with Don Fry with the Greater Baltimore Committee, Don. Thanks for taking some time to talk to us today.
2: Sure, well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you.
1: Cool. So, um, first of all, let me congratulate you uh, on the Boy Scout Award. Uh, I was uh, I was a Cub Scout years obviously years ago. You want to tell us a little bit about the Boy Scout Award?
2: Well, no, I was very pleased to be uh, recognized by Boy Scouts of America for their Henry Rosenberg, a Distinguished Citizen Award of the Year. Um, I also unfortunately did not make it to an Eagle Scout or even if I was a Cub <laughs> Scout like you, uh, but uh, I was pleased to be recognized for, I guess, the work I've done over the years. And it's uh, quite an honor when you look at the list of people who previously have been recognized from the business and political world. Uh, so I was very excited to be recognized for that. And, uh, and now my next responsibility will be to serve as the chair of the next year's event. So uh, we'll be moving in that direction soon. No good deed, no good deed. Boy Scouts uh, do great work and now, of course, recognize both boys and girls and certainly Mm. uh, all the work that they do. And, of course, there's probably no better time when you think about the uh, scout oath that you sort of hope that uh, people uh, in all fields will follow those uh, levels of civility that we need in the world today
1: man we could we could spend all day on just that one but uh we we, we will avoid that one w- won't you um tell folks just a little bit about don and kind of how you got to this position but even more important the greater baltimore committee folks may not know that are listening to about the greater baltimore committee and the great work it does for for baltimore
2: sure we'll talk a little bit about uh, i was uh grew up in harford county uh live in harford county now uh also uh went to public schools, Harvard County, went to Frostburg State College at that time, now Frostburg State University, uh, where I um, had played football, as well as uh, was a ma- major in political science and had a minor in business administration. I sort of have a unique uh, uh connection there. And that fact, not only was I captain of the football team, was also president of student government at the same time. A jock,
1: a jock uh, that could actually, you know, do the more just to be a jock, huh?
2: Was, it probably wouldn't have happened at a bigger school, but I was fortunate <laughs> to be able to do that. So it worked out very well for me there. Uh, I then ended up going to University of Baltimore School of Law uh, and uh, then practiced law for about 19 years. Uh, And part of that, uh, during that tenure, I was uh, fortunate enough, was very active in politics. I was fortunate to be elected and served in the Maryland General Assembly in the 1990s. And when the political world came to an end, uh, I I didn't need a job. My law practice was going fine, but I really liked to do public policy and things of that nature. That's sort of what got my juices flowing. Uh, so I looked around for just said to people I don't need a job, but if there's opportunities, let me know and I was very fortunate uh, to uh, be offered an opportunity to come to the Greater Baltimore Committee uh, as Executive Vice President and General Counsel. Um, I served in that role for a couple of years from 1999 to 2002. And then uh, 2000 November 1st 2002 I became President and CEO and have been in that role ever since. Uh, Greater Baltimore Committee is is a tremendous organization, uh, one that I actually uh, grew to respect when I was in the legislature. Uh, And the reason I liked it from the legislative perspective is that uh, Greater Baltimore Committee was never an organization that came down and just said no to you. Uh, No, I don't like this idea. No, you can't do that. They oftentimes would come down and say, uh, we understand uh, your concern. Uh, We see that you as a legislator think there's a problem. Uh, we're not sure that uh, the way that you're looking to address it is the best way for business to move forward. But let's see if we can find a way uh, to accomplish what you want to do, but also make sure it doesn't negatively affect on business. Mm-hmm. As a legislator, that is worth gold because you're there for 90 days and you don't necessarily know everything and your t- the time is compressed. So to have somebody uh, who wants to help you find a solution, uh, that's important. And, and that's what the GBC is all about. Of being a problem solving organization. Its mission, uh, which, which came into effect in 1955, is when it was formed. Um, and it's a business organization, business advocacy, economic growth organization. And the mission is to bring the corporate and civic community together to find solutions to problems that affect the region's competitiveness and viability. So, what do we need to do to make this region, being Harford, Baltimore, Howard, and Arundel, Carroll, and Baltimore City, an area that's better to do business, a better place where businesses wanna grow. So that's really the the and bolts about what the GBC is all about, is how do we make this a better business climate and make us more competitive uh, for for job creation opportunities.
1: And you know, particularly, and we'll talk obviously more, more about COVID here, but, um, but talk about some of maybe some of the, success, the recent successes you've had, uh, even in light, maybe in light of COVID.
2: Yeah. Well, I think some of the things that uh, uh, we've done most recently is we released a regional workforce development report. Uh, What our board of directors basically said is let's look at what the industry sectors are that are destined to grow over the next seven to 10 years. And in doing so, let's see where we are currently in those specific industry sectors. And then let's see what do we need to do to be fully prepared, whether it be uh, from a, a changing the curriculum or changing training and things like that. So we've done, looked at various sectors. Obviously, uh, information technology is one of those major sectors that uh, we're going to see growth in the, in the next couple of years. Another is construction and building. Another is healthcare, and then another uh, deals with business services. Now, technology is always a part of all of those areas, but specifically looking at IT uh, by itself is uh, important. So those are the four industry sectors we've identified. You're going to see growth in the next 10 years. What do we need to do to make sure that we're not looking back 10 years from now and saying, God, if we had seen this coming, this is what we would have done. So we've laid out a series of recommendations. And now what our our education and workforce committee is doing is trying to work with workforce providers work with employers and try and work with other higher higher education higher education mm-hmm. even K through 12 to make sure that we're embracing and implementing all those recommendations moving forward.
1: Well that's critical right you know particularly from where i sit as 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 the investor you know it does us no good to invest in the next great idea or whatever that technology is and then there's nobody to do it there is right. there is nobody to mm-hmm. to make it happen and you can't have growth. And so there is a symbiotic relationship between what we do here at Tetco and and what you just talked about. In, in and and I
2: report. think, you know, we get so caught up in the work of the day and work of what, what we're reacting to that sometimes we never take a, a chance to pause and say where we want to be in the future and what's going to take to be like that in the future. So I think that's one of the best, uh, the beauties about this particular report. It gives all of us, and again, this is these are not recommendations that the GBC can embrace by themselves. It's gonna take a lot of collaboration and cooperation with many other entities like Tedco to make sure that we can uh, meet all of these objectives moving forward. And if we do so, although, uh, uh, I may not be here 10 years from now, but 10 years from now, somebody's gonna look back and say, hey, thank God uh, that somebody took the initiative to find out what the needs are. And at least we've addressed as many as we could so that we are a region that's moving forward in these areas.
1: That's outstanding. You know, Baltimore um, doesn't always get the publicity, the positive publicity because of a number of of, 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 of things that are real, but things that sometimes get over, over overplayed. And, how do you talk to people about the? the would you just talked about the, the role that the GBC plays in terms of making it a better place, not just Baltimore but the region? I get that, but Baltimore specifically, and how do you make sure that people see a different Baltimore than sometimes gets portrayed?
2: Well, first of all, let me say that when the GBC was first created in 1955, it was strictly Baltimore City, and the focus, and that of course was because in 1955, uh, Baltimore City had 950,000 <laughs> uh, residents, whereas Howard County uh, probably had. 30,000 residents. Mm -hmm. Uh, Obviously things have changed over time and the GBC became more of a regional organization in the late 70s, early 80s, uh, because one of the things that they realized is that Regions rather than individual jurisdictions were driving the economy. That's what was driving the economy, but and we do a re, we do a state of the region report every couple of years where we look at about 100 different indices and compare our region compared to others around the country. And we find that regions that do well have a strong central core mm-hmm. so it's important for Baltimore City to also do well because that's going to help everybody in this region do well and prosper as well likely. Uh, What I tell people about Baltimore City is, first of all, there are some incredible strengths about Baltimore City that people don't recognize. One, first of all, is just the diversity uh, of its citizens, the diversity of its communities. I mean, Baltimore City is a a community, as a city that has over 200 or more uh, neighborhoods, and each one has its own little uh, great attributes uh, that people sometimes don't recognize. The other part of it is when you look at the strength of the city, you see obviously all the business activity that occurs here, but also when you think about the fact of what other city can we think of in the country, not many, that have two incredible medical research institutions. Exactly. City. Johns Hopkins on the east side, University of Maryland, Baltimore on the west side. Um, most cities would die to have that type of medical research institutions that are accessible to them. Also, when you look at Baltimore from just the location, where it's located along the 95 corridor, its proximity, obviously, to the airport, obviously, to the railroads, just a tremendous location for businesses and people to wanna locate uh, and be in as a part of. And then also I talked about the medical research institutions, just also think about the higher education institutions that exist Mm -hmm. in Baltimore and the surrounding area. Uh, We clearly are a college town when you think about uh, even Charles Street from uh, Towson University down to uh, uh, Notre Dame, to Loyola, to Johns Hopkins, down to the city, Oregon and the Cappan. I mean, you don't. And then we throw the community colleges on top of that. Uh, we just have an incredible opportunity, and that's one of the strengths of this region is the the quality of the workforce that we have as well.
1: No, I love the way you described and I think you're right. People don't recognize the number of higher education institutions just on the four-year side, but then you throw on the 2 years that, that exists in Baltimore. There's well,
2: very few. I, and I, going off Charles Street, I left out Stevenson. So, Stevenson, I mean, you get yeah. Stevenson as well. So, I mean, there's, and there may be others. I mean, that just gives you an idea of the dynamic that's out there. And you, then uh, if you go out into the county as well, you got UMBC and uh, on the south side of Baltimore, of the city. So it's just, when you think about it, uh, you, you can plot it on maps, but there aren't too many other cities or regions that have that sort of wealth of higher education, of educated people, which gives us a great opportunity uh, to bring them into our businesses.
1: Outstanding. I was uh, talking to about someone else about, particularly with the, because of COVID and, and so much online shopping, the logistics piece, the, the logistics industry there in Baltimore has really, really picked up and, and create a lot of energy around that.
2: You wanna yeah. talk about that? No, Point Atlantic over the former Bethlehem Steel property uh, that's being turned into basically a logistics center. Uh, It's going to be incredible. They already employ 8,000 people now and they've only been really moving for the last two years probably as far as operationally. At one time they talked about having a maximum of 15,000 people. I think they're going to far exceed 15,000 people employed in that area. Then you've got Port Covington, which is another major employment hub uh, that's about to break ground and get some movement going with this infrastructure. And then of course, we've just got the, we talked about logistics. You've got uh, the Port of Baltimore that brings in incredible amount of uh, supplies from around the world. And of course, you've got all of the uh, distribution of that, where uh, that's why we're the furthest inland port on the east on the east coast and that can get out to places as far out to the midwest to chicago easily within a day and just yeah. supplies and things of that nature so we have a great opportunity to do that uh, this is there you don't see that very often the one thing that i think we struggle with and we have to work on is the fact that we don't have and it's a major priority of the gbc is to look at how we can make sure that we have connections to get people to these new jobs, get people to Trade Point Atlantic, get people to Port Covington. If these are going to be the economic hubs, we need to make sure that we have access to those employment Transportation, transportation
1: yeah. adequate, tra- adequate transportation.
2: Transportation mobility is a key priority for Excellent. any business, successful business operation.
1: So I'm going to switch gears a little bit. So um, you're a football player, so we're going to do a little halftime, go in the <laughs> locker room and and stretch and talk to the coach. So um, have a little fun here a little bit. So uh, tell us a little bit, Don, you know, during this COVID uh, time, kind of what's been kind of one of your favorite uh, an activity that you do to kind of break the monotony of of what we've been doing through this COVID era.
2: Uh, Well, I'll tell you, there's been so much uh, activities just to get things moving around and make sure we operate and trip pivot. But uh, when I I think of what I do uh, personally outside of, the office. Uh, there's a couple of things that I'm, I'm interested in. Uh, I'm, I'm a pretty avid golfer. Uh, my family is a golfing family. Uh, I'm the third best golfer in a family of three. <laughs> um, uh, my son is a professional golfer in Florida who's uh, uh, trying to make it on the tour, playing in the de- mini tours, developmental tours in there. My wife is a uh, very avid golfer. She's been a two-time champion as a oh, senior wow. woman. She's played in the U.S. Uh, senior Women, uh, U.S. Amateurs, all kinds of different activities, and is uh, very good. And then, and then I'm the third one. And then you. And then you. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, my wife has, um, I think, 12 or 13 home in ones My my oh, son my has uh, uh, three, and I've got two. So I can't even say keep keep up with pace with that. But uh, so golf is obviously a key. I love all sports activities. Of course, can't really go to any sporting activities, but I frequently would be attending as many sporting activities. But I'm also a pretty uh, avid reader. And I still do that during the COVID uh, crisis as much as anything else. Uh, my reading is more in the area of, uh, of political biographies uh, or leadership areas. I particularly like... Uh, more of the colonial revolutionary time and uh, our founding fathers. Uh, although most recently, uh, I read a book uh, uh, dealing more more recently with James, about James Baker, who uh, the man who ran Washington, uh, which is a pretty fascinating story about all the connections he had and somebody who actually, although he was clearly along uh, the Republican Party lines, he was able to move back and forth between. Uh, across the aisle between the parties and had uh, commanded respect from, uh, from both political parties uh, uh, moving forward. So it was a pretty fascinating read. Yeah,
1: it is, I, I got to go on the, because the, uh, the, I'm a history buff myself. So we, again, we could spend time on that. But tell me on uh, the books when you look back at that history, kind of a, an interesting historical moment from the founding fathers you think is just one of those things that people don't know about that, that, that really caught your eye.
2: Well, I, I think it's, it's funny. I was talking to somebody here the other day. They asked me you know, how things are different, you know, particularly when we saw what happened back on January sixth with the uh, uh, attack on the Capitol. Yeah, and people clearly have misperceptions about what, how government operates and how it should be. I think the part that uh, I find uh, fascinating is that you know, if we were involved in a true revolution and trying to figure out how do we create a form of government, uh, you look back at the Federalist Papers. Mm-hmm. And you see how uh, people used to read through the Federalist Papers and argue about what sort of uh, government we should have, and you see both sides of it. And that, you know, unfortunately, in this day and age, if we had to go read through the, nobody would read through the Federalist Papers. Uh, we seem to be too much driven by uh, 30-second sound bites and bumper sticker slogans. Uh, rather than really getting into uh, what makes the foundation of a democracy or a representative democracy and i think that that's a very unfortunate situation we really need to have people who are much more knowledgeable about government about the structure of government Uh, and even is discouraging to me when i see some of the results that come out of high school testing of how few high school students really even understand uh, how the government operates or know who their elected officials are and uh, I think that that's just a sad commentary on what we have uh, going on today.
1: Yeah, it's uh, funny, right. you know, again, it's been so much time on, you know, I think, you know, our technology has given us so many wonderful things, but it's sped things up and right. it's made everything wanna be so instant, right? Uh, my wife and I were in the store shopping the other day and she saw some Jiffy Pop popcorn, you know, Jiffy Pop popcorn, I said, yeah, this was, we thought this was fast, you know, the old <laughs> Jiffy Pop. <laughs> But you know everything now is microwavable. Everything is the thirty-second soundbite. Everything is the you can get your news in thirty minutes. The six o'clock news doesn't mean anything because we all get the the text alerts through the day, and by the time six o'clock news comes around, it's old news, right? And, and, And and so you're right. The ability to consume and spend time into something, I think, has been one of the down one of the human downfalls of all the technology that we have.
2: Yeah, well, you walk in and uh, you walk into your kitchen and you ask Alexa what the weather's going to be or something like that, and you get the information right off the bat. It's it's just, uh, again, everything is so compressed from a time constraint perspective. Uh, We're always looking for that instant gratification, that instant Mm -hmm. information. And not that that's, I mean, that's benefited us in many, many ways. But at the same time, I think, unfortunately, when we look at some situations, like really having a thorough knowledge and understanding of, uh, of the intricacies of government or, or even of business sometimes that uh, uh, we're missing that and that's unfortunate.
1: Yeah, the shallowness, the shallowness, that's exactly right. Well, I started this so, on, so we're going back out on the field team, we're going back out on the field, so half time's over. So um, let's talk about COVID. You know, that is that is obviously the, sure. the elephant in the room. Uh, it's not even the elephant anymore, it is the room uh, more than anything. Yeah. Talk to us about how uh, the Greater Baltimore, but two things, one is how Don, had you told us kind of what you've been doing with your golf and what you do in person, but how has your leadership change and your management change because of COVID? And, and, and then also what has happened, how GBC has had to shift uh, their activities because of COVID?
2: Let me talk first about GBC and how we've had to shift. Obviously, we've gone to almost an entirely virtual platform with anything, whether it be board meetings, uh, committee meetings that we have, Uh, All the events that we have, uh, everything has gone virtual. The last, I guess, in-person, quote, event that we held uh, was about a year ago, and we had a legislative program in late January. Uh, We actually have our legislative program on uh, uh, this coming week, and uh, it's going to be virtual. Uh, So that's entirely changed throughout the entire process. And obviously, people, uh, many people are working from home. Some come into the office uh, on a a regular basis. Uh, So we've had to... um, figure out ways of making sure uh, just we continue to get the work done. So part of it is just uh, communications back and forth. Uh, obviously a lot more email communications back and forth, uh, moving forward. I, I think the one benefit that we've had, I think it's forced us to do things quicker than I would have liked I've wanted us to do. Um, for example, you know, I've been talking with our staff about wanting to have, uh, committee meetings where people could come in person or people couldn't possibly uh, be online to do it. Um, we weren't moving as quickly as I would have liked to possibly have seen us do that. Uh, some reasons just we didn't even we sure we had the technology. Well, COVID sort of forced us to do that and we yeah. picked up pretty quickly and made that happen. From a management perspective or a leadership perspective, I don't know that things changed entirely too much uh, from my perspective. I, I sort of look at a situation, evaluate what the problem is, assess what needs to be done, and then identify who the right person is in the office to that can probably handle that area. Um, I, when I meet with that person or talk to that person, I lay out to them what I think the outcome is that we'd like to see, but not necessarily predetermine what the outcome is, but sort of the direction I'd like to see us head. And some of the areas I think would make some success, and then have that person regularly report back and give me information about how things are going, and and feed and give feedback. I mean, I think that that's uh, most of uh, a leadership's responsibility. Leaders' responsibility is to uh, identify the correct, identify the issues, identify the problem identify the person who can carry out and implement what needs to be done and then you sort of provide them with guidance and direction and assistance as time comes on to take them to the uh, goal lines as we're talking about the, <laughs> the football metaphors and uh, and get us across the get us across the goal line uh, that's not a whole lot different than if you're in person uh, but I do think it takes a little bit more involvement in a virtual world
1: no I think that's I think that's right. I think folks, for folks that are listening, I think that's, you know, part of what I heard you say, and you can correct me, is that there are just some elemental things about how we should manage our teams that stayed the same. Now, we may have to be a little bit more intentional on one or two other ones, but there are just certain elemental things that, that's had to stay the same.
2: Yeah, I don't, I don't think COVID has changed management structure or our leadership structure. But except for the fact of maybe uh, just more different types of communication, different types of updates that you need, uh, because you're not walking down the hallway and running across somebody and just saying, hey, I'm looking to do this. You you may not talk to that person that particular day or a couple days or something like that, unless it's just through email. And sometimes, as you know, um, email communications, I don't (laughs) think, are as clear as (laughs) face-to-face communications are. Uh, so it, it, you got to be careful in how you uh, how you translate back and forth through emails as well, because sometimes the person what they're asking you to feed give feedback on, or the feedback you're giving is not always entirely what would have been there if you were face to face. No, I,
1: I, I say all the time, uh, that email is the worst, actually one of the worst forms of communication, because I could send you an email with no ill intent, but depending on how you've had your day or. I may say a, a trigger word in my email that just will set you off, right? And and you're right. I picking up the phone, the old fashioned just picking up a phone or you know, we can't go down the hall anymore. Picking up a phone still is one of the most effective forms of communication to me.
2: Yeah, look, and not that I don't enjoy doing Zoom and love doing this with you, Troy, but at the same time, uh, I sometimes during the day, I'm like somebody will send me an email and say, hey, can you jump on a Zoom at uh, 4.30? I'm like, hey, can't you just pick up the phone and call me? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think sometimes it might just be uh, easier that way because you're you're doing this so often uh, that uh, it's good just to go back to the normal way periodically.
1: Amen on that, man. You know, earlier you mentioned uh, about diversity of of of. of, 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 of... There in the Baltimore, in the Baltimore region. Let's talk a little bit about that because obviously one of the things that COVID did uh, expose was kind of some of the divides that exist within our within our country around gender and race. Um, so talk about some of the efforts. I know you and I have talked about some of the efforts that uh, GBC is looking at to to try to have both the conversation and how to address some of these challenges.
2: And I think racial equity and social justice has certainly emerged as a very important uh, issue for businesses and for individuals and society as a whole. You know, I can't think of hardly any organization or person who is not giving some direct attention to racial equity and social justice these days. And it's very appropriate that we do so. It's long overdue uh, that we do so. So some of the things that we're doing is, first of all, uh, we're looking internally. Uh, looking at our internal operations to see, look at our bylaws, Mm -hmm. look at our mission statement, uh, look at our rules of of how we operate processes, procedures internally, as far as purchasing and things of that nature, to make sure that we're providing all the uh, opportunities that are, should be afforded to everyone in, uh, uh, in working with the GBC. Uh, also, some of the things that we're working on is looking at it and that even involves from our committee involvement exactly are we taking up issues uh, that are important uh, from a racial equity social justice perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also think that we need to be looking at things externally as well. And I say externally. One is that when we do our public policy and looking at bills and pieces of legislation, We're looking at things through an equity lens to make sure that we're really looking at that which not only that we didn't do that before but now we're definitely making sure that everything we look at does have some perspective with it from an equity lens moving forward and then also i think that you're going to see coming out of the gbc a series of programs a series of activities to help educate to help involve people about what we need to do in the business world to make sure that all of our businesses are embracing uh, equity within the office place. I'm not suggesting that the GBC is the one who knows all the answers. In fact, we're late late in the game compared to many other organizations that are out there. But the GBC is the type of organization that can be a facilitator Mm -hmm. to bring people together, talk about issues, and also help particularly small and minority businesses that don't necessarily have the resources or the resource capacity uh, to make changes or learn best practices, but you can help engage people in those discussions and connect uh, larger businesses with smaller businesses or minority businesses so they can work together to find ways uh, uh, to embrace those types of ideas. But I think it's a critically important time. I think we're seeing it at the national level uh, with the Biden administration now Uh, just recently. Uh, speaker Adrian Jones has introduced a very uh, dynamic uh, what she's calling or being referred to as a, quote, black agenda uh, dealing with home ownership, uh, health dis- care disparities, uh, things, uh, jobless, uh, job opportunities, things of that nature. Uh, the Senate president, uh, Melanie Griffith, the speaker of the president pro tem, issued a report. I think Tedco is obviously engaged in a number of some of those items are being uh, embraced. So this is the time for all of us to really grab a hold of this issue and really make some transformational changes that need to be made.
1: No, I love all of that. And yes, we are involved with, uh, we appreciate the uh, support from uh, from uh, Speaker Jones and, and, and Senator uh, Griffith uh, in both of their uh, bills and the recommendations respectively, out of both of their chambers. Um, and, and yes, we're being more intentional. You and I talked and we can say here, we, we plan on launching here, we hope we'll do it with the. Greater Baltimore Committee and others, um, our efforts uh, to focus on Baltimore, uh, to launch some very specific efforts that really look at how do we uh, invest more in Baltimore, invest more in in women and, and uh, black and brown owned businesses. And so there has to be, to your point, you're making intentionality. We have right. to be, you can't just want it, you gotta be specific and intentional about getting it done.
2: And I think that may be what's different. I mean, look, we've had debates about, uh, racial equity and social justice for 50 years at least and uh, but I think this time there is that more intentionality and I think people there's like that tipping point that people say this is the time this is the sometimes you have to be in the right place at the right time and sometimes you have to know you're in the right place at the right time and I think if people know that we're in the right place at the right time and people want to see this happen
1: You mentioned as we close, you mentioned about, you know, maybe in 10 years, kind of what the workforce study would lead to and the other work that the GPC is doing. But what's that vision for you for what does Baltimore look, what does the greater Baltimore area look like in 10 years? What does that, what's that look like for you?
2: Well, I I think over time, you're going to see uh, the greater Baltimore region still being a very strong uh, populated area. Uh, Obviously, we're about 2.5 of 6 million people Mm -hmm. right now. I think obviously you're gonna see see that grow. And it used to be only had one economic engine in the state and that was the Baltimore region. And now I think there's two equal economics uh, engines. You've got the Baltimore region and then you have the Washington suburban region. And and there's a connection between the two. And I think that's one thing that's gonna change over the next 10 years, you're going to see continue to see a growing connectivity between the Baltimore and Washington area uh, as we as we move forward. Um, you know, some people and I've said that sometimes, and people sort of balk at me, like because they get a little bit uh, a parochial and worry about just the Baltimore area. And I'm saying, look, there's only one nation's capital. And what's wrong with having uh, your connection with uh, the nation's capital? And we can still root for the Ravens here, and they can still <laughs> root for the uh, Washington football team, and uh, we can still both have our which, separate, which, is it, which uh, plays
1: games. in Maryland, but that's a different conversation.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and we can still have our uh, our separate uh, baseball teams and root for those as well, uh, but. Uh, the reality is, is that the the economy doesn't necessarily see those artificial lines exactly. uh, that are out there. So I, I see the greater Baltimore region becoming a major part uh, of the economy uh, because of the connectivity to the Washington area. I, I see is still a very vibrant uh, region, particularly with uh, young people, uh, young professionals and very highly educated young professionals, because I think uh, this is an area that people are attracted to. They see the attributes, they see uh, things like the beauty of the Inner Harbor, the Chesapeake mm-hmm. Bay, they, they see uh, the tourism and the cultural activities that Occur in downtown Baltimore and, and throughout the region, and that's what people are attracted to. Uh, so I think that you're going to continue to see uh, people embrace that area. Uh, we need to. We have some challenges that have to be addressed to uh, make sure that uh, uh, this remains that vibrant area. We need to continue to improve our, uh, particularly in Baltimore City, the K through 12 education system. We need to continue to uh, grow our transportation and make sure that we are connecting transportation opportunities to uh people uh, of, of all uh of, of all communities uh that's one of the challenges in baltimore city and that uh probably only 35 of the workforce uh, has cars uh, that's different than uh some of the surrounding jurisdictions so how do we address that so i, I think you're just going to continue to see uh this as a a new economy area i think you're going to start seeing more technology companies more uh, new economy things that we're not even imagining right now as being a part of the economy, and I think that that's very exciting and encouraging for uh, for all of us who are here today and looking ten years out. Well,
1: that's great, man. This is this is a great way to close. And I didn't say this at the beginning, but you know, we're, we're taping this um, the, the Friday after the inauguration of a new administration here in this country, and and uh, not to make this political. This is not meant to be a political forum, but you know, uh, inaugurations always uh, usher in the newness of them. Uh, the hope that kind of the hope uh, and i talk a lot about hope here at Tedco, and i think we're all kind of hoping for a, a better and a different day uh, going forward
2: i agree with you and i think this has been a uh, a great week i think again there's this uh i talked about a turning point or tipping point i think the inauguration for a lot of people uh, just put us in a different direction and a uh, positive direction and hope as you referred so uh, i'm looking forward to uh to uh, not that things are gonna be easy, but it's, it's, uh, we can at least debate discussions and have uh, civility, which is very important these Which
1: is the key. And that's the point. I, one of the things that as we close, I talked to folks and I heard in one of the songs that they talked about is, you know, find a way to walk in somebody else's shoes. If I get to know Don and Don's journey a little bit better, I still can disagree with Don, but I can at least respect and understand how he came to the conclusion and why he has the viewpoint that he does. Yeah.
2: And that's, I mean, that's, and that's the one thing that's changed, I think, in politics, even from my days. I mean, there were a group of people uh, when I was in Annapolis who sort of both parties who really could make a difference and move a direction of policy one way or the other. And we may be on different, on different sides of the aisle today you see too much of that polarization. I'm hopeful that things will change. I'm hopeful that this administration can bring, still have that debate, still have that discussion. And that really brings out a better product. It's just, Amen. can we all get on the same page at the end?
1: Amen. Well, Don, thank you for your time today. I, really, I truly appreciate it and learned a lot. And I look forward to more importantly, working with GBC uh, uh, in the future and having some great times together.
2: I think think there's great opportunities for GBC and TEDCO to work together, and I look forward to doing that with you. And uh, I know you're relatively new compared to me being on the job, but I look forward to that great relationship moving forward.
1: Thank you, sir. Well, again, thank you all for listening to TEDCO Talks. Uh, My name is Troy Lamel Stovall uh, with TEDCO. See you guys next week. Take care. Thanks again, Don. Thanks
2: again.
0: Thanks again for listening. And a special thank you to our guest, Don Fry. For joining in today's discussion. For more information on TechCo and its activities, check us out at www.tedcomd.com. If you enjoyed today's discussion, consider sharing and subscribing to TechCo Talks.